0: Welcome to the Masterminds podcast channel, brought to you by DonorSearch, a leader in prospect research tools and analytics. And your host, one of America's top philanthropic experts and fundraising consultants, Jay Frost. Quam Taylor teaches nonprofit leaders how to shift from spending all their time, energy, and resources on low-dollar donor activities that leave investment-level opportunities overlooked. We caught up with Sherry at her home office in Chicago. Hi, Sherry. Thanks for visiting with us today.
1: Hey, Jay. How are you?
0: Doing great, uh, and I uh, hope all is well in Chicago. Are you in the office today?
1: I am in the office today it's a we were today we shifted from snow to rain so I, I guess that's okay
0: <laughs> well I guess so and and but given the nature of your work I suppose it really doesn't matter what the weather is you're able to work with people all over the world from right you know there at your what? desk
1: that really honestly is is the fun part um i i I am in my office every day behind the camera uh, on zoom working with you know, a lot of founders and leaders of nonprofits who really are uh, all over the country, but are serving all over the world. And so, I uh, I always say honestly, it's one of my favorite parts of my consultancy that I have that I can reach nationally. And in you know, one day might be learning about you know some amazing work down in Texas of like immigrant and refugee work, and then uh, you know out in Seattle and college scholarships and. Um, you know, it's just really fun for me to learn what's happening in other people's communities as well, and say, oh, that, actually, that, that's similar to here. Oh my goodness, I've never heard of such a thing. Um, so it actually is a, is a pretty fun element of the work I do.
0: And, and that's not alien to you in your in your whole career. Right? I know that uh, before you launched the firm, uh, the most recently before you launched the firm, you were working with an organization that did work out of India. Although I guess you were there, yeah. in the U.S. you were a staff. And so. Tell me a, a bit about that. How that sure. informs, and also how you came to be involved in that in, in the first place.
1: Yeah, happy to. So I, you know, was was happily uh, in in my corporate career and climbing that ladder. And I still have those moments today where I'm like, how did I get over here owning my own business to help nonprofits grow? Like, how did how? Wait a second, <laughs> how did that happen? And it's been quite a while now. But um, yeah, I was working my uh, you know my career, and I it was actually. Worked for a big national architecture and design firm, and we did all corporate headquarters rollouts, and we're working with fantastic companies who were, you know, really growing globally. And uh, so, got it. You know, did a fair amount of travel myself in in that uh, in that field as well. And then I had the opportunity to uh, go to India um, to a friend of mine. Uh, his his family actually had an NGO in in India, and um, he said, Hey, could you, you know, some of our other friends are going as well, and uh we're we're wanting to build a facility and and obviously you're your project managing facilities all over the all over the country and could you come? And I thought, oh, sure, that kind of sounds like fun. And uh so I went and um long story short is I, I just really had a, a kind of a life changing experience on that trip and uh you know was single at the time and this has been quite a few years, probably 13 plus years. Um and uh, just, you know, obviously was was awestruck by the need, um, but also really inspired. And so um, I came home from that trip after a few weeks and uh, really started um, working almost like two full-time jobs, my regular job, but then also helping uh, my friend get his nonprofit here in the States off the ground to actually support the work that was happening over there. And, uh, and that work was really in the area of um, really elevating orphan care work and then uh, anti-trafficking uh, work as well. And so it was easy to be passionate about that, of course. Um, and so I uh, you know he y- kind of wore me down over a few after a few years. and uh, three years later, i uh, I joined the organization as the first kind of staff member outside of the founding ed. And uh, the organization was about three hundred thousand. And uh, we rolled up our sleeves, uh, put a lot of just back-end structure in place that that wasn't there. and uh, and and really uh, we invested in learning how to. Fundraise correctly because you know we we you know, neither of us had a nonprofit degrees. We were both from corporate and said well, we have some things to learn here. Uh, and we tripled the funding of that organization in about 18 months, just to bring it right under a million dollars. And you know I didn't know it at the time, but I really was kind of crafting the methodology that I use today with my clients and when I work with small nonprofits who who want to grow. You know maybe not that quickly or maybe that quickly, but um, so eventually, about after about three and a half years, I I said, hey, I um I was I was meeting with a lot of other EDs and uh and they were kind of asking us, how are you guys, how are you doing this? Um and I quickly realized that there was there was a need in the industry to come alongside other founders and, and uh leaders of nonprofits who were absolute experts at their mission and were really passionate about what they're doing. But didn't know how to really scale their nonprofit or particularly didn't know how to kind of get off that startup spin cycle of doing all the things to really getting strategic and growing into large gifts so that they could
0: scale. And you really described brilliantly kind of the business side of your, your thinking about how to make this work. As you experienced that trip to India, though, I'm curious. Mm, yeah. What really moved you?
1: You know, it was the people. Um, You know, we were working with uh, amazing, amazing girls um, there. And, uh, you know, I personally have uh, two adopted daughters from India (laughs) Uh, now, you know, many years later. But uh, I I literally on that trip thought, wow, I've never thought of even being a mom. But my goodness, if I do, I think my children are from India. I hadn't even met my husband at at the time yet, Jay, which is so funny because, uh, you know, I had to have that discussion. (laughs) i was like oh by the way if we if we are serious here my kids are in india um which which he was all on board for so you know it really was the people um you know and just um really falling in love with them and i think uh you know looking back this is i think this is just the calling uh, on my life and so um it really pivoted I mean, I say it it was life changing. It it pivoted my career, my family, you know, kind of my passions, everything. um, Kind of all in one trip, and I continued to go back, and you know, I've taken many, many a trip over there, Um, you know, and and then of course to get our our girls here as of recently. But um, yeah, it was it was the people, and I and I to this day, um, you know, we're planning a trip here to go back in a in a couple years once our girls are just uh, through high school a little bit more. But um, you know, I'm, I'm most most excited to see see the people
0: over there. You described that as a, as a calling. And that is something that I've heard from other people in our field in the past, people yeah. like Annis uh, and others. I, I'm curious to know how important do you think it is that people find their calling one way or another in order to be successful and mm. not just raise revenue, but really committing to help an organization to grow and have more impact.
1: Right. Yeah. That's interesting. And I, I will, um, You know, I think that's probably why, I mean, I I honestly, I love what I do, Jay, like, um, because I love working with people who, you know, I specifically love working with founders. I work with a lot of founders and I did not, I did not found, uh, establish. I'll use the word, the organization, you know, I had worked for, but um, my goodness, I was so, I was there so early. It was my baby, right? You know, um, I was, I was just like giving it my absolute all. And so I will tell you that when a founder calls me, I'm so I'm I'm so excited because what they're describing to me and the the pain and the where they're you know like hey I'm a I talked to somebody the other day you know her organization uh, she started because um you know her her father was actually uh, improperly uh, incarcerated he he wasn't guilty and so. Like she, out of that, has started her own nonprofit to help you know, inner city youth, and this this whole thing, and to to really give back to the person who fought to get her dad out. And I thought, oh my goodness, like I have to help her succeed. Like it just gives me this because I've been there, and I've 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 really felt that just drive and passion when someone is conveying that back to me. Like they're gonna get my best work because I just I, I can so relate um to that calling element and so you know another kind of you kind of know really humbling experience for me is uh you know working for clients who maybe have lost a loved one you know I'm working with someone right now who lost her daughter and um so she started an organization to you know to, to uh you know help other people that were in her situation or you know just wrapped up with somebody who lost her sister who you know had a Heart attack when she was 20 years old and was healthy, and you know they're trying to get EKGs into all the all the schools. And so, I tell you those stories because it's just um, it, it's emotional work, um, but it really drives me because I kind of needed me <laughs> when I was working, you know, for this organization. So it, it really the found, when a founder calls me, I get I get pretty excited.
0: It it's interesting because founders have that passion. And if they meet with a good plan, the kind of plan you're working with them to devise, they can help others to hear that story. And if it resonates right. for them, that sympathetic vibration, they can come and support it. I know that's a key element of them building a plan, but right. I'm curious to you know how you work with organizations then as they get to a certain point. I, I believe that you work mainly with organizations that are you know, coming up to a million dollars. Is that yeah. right?
1: Yeah. Or under, you know, I I mean, right now I have somebody who's, who's bringing in $50,000 and they're investing in, in learning how to do this early. And yeah, I have groups calling me who are multimillion, but maybe, you know, have a very high dependence in maybe government funding or program or earned earned revenue. And maybe their charitable giving is, is very small. And so what I find is there, there were so many, when I was kind of doing more kind of in-person coaching, um, I was finding that like, I mean, there's, there's certain nuances, but no matter the size, there was a, a very similar process I was taking the organization through, um, which is why I have said I kind of looked at myself and said, I'm, I'm doing this in a very, you know, rhythmic way. And so I can be doing these, you know, uh, you know, to, with people all over and move to this virtual model um, because I was finding that whether it's, hey, we just started last year, we raised $50,000, but we really need to be raising one hundred and fifty. Um, that process is is similar, but we're we're more finding the donors, right? We're more we're more getting structure in place early so that um, they can put their kind of foot in the right direction. You know, if somebody who's maybe bringing in eight hundred thousand, maybe half of that is from foundation revenue, or or eighty percent is foundation revenue. It's like, okay, we have this solid groundwork, but how do we start? Where do I start finding individual donors and um, like I had a gal call me, um, last week and, uh, doing, um, again, doing amazing work is, is a co-founder. Um, and, uh, they're growing actually, I mean, I think she was about 700,000, but 2% of the revenue comes from individuals. And so, mm-hmm. um, to me, they're leaving tons of, tons of money on the table. And so I get excited because I'm like, I can help you. Um, and so hopefully we'll start that here this next month, but, um, it, it, the similarities in, in all the different size organizations are, they're more than, than less, you know? Um, and so that, that's, that's, I've seen the success at, at both ends of the spectrum. Um, you know, and from the founder perspective, I'll always say to them, um, hey, it's actually okay that you don't know how to do major gift cultivation, or you don't know those, those steps you need to take to grow, because, you haven't ever needed to know how to do this until this point. You know, in your previous career, you were teaching or you, know, you were a lawyer, you were a doctor or something, um, you know, but now the most important thing is if we want to grow, we, we have to learn how to do that and, and really commit to changing maybe the ways you're doing it now so that you can move into more activities that uh, attract and then secure larger gifts so you actually
0: can really grow. Do you know if they are, once they are successful in implementing that kind of approach, if they're able to then scale it as well, so that the the stories, the things that motivate them, that move them to do the work uh, can be brought to more and more people, especially in a virtual context. You and I have been talking virtually throughout this series and, yeah. and you work with uh, your clients that way. Is it possible then for these founders, once they've gotten to the million dollar mark or above? to also use virtual tools in order to capture the attention and interest of others who might be willing to invest in greater degree so they can scale these these programs
1: right. yeah that this is a topic that's actually been coming up a lot um i can some saw somebody post maybe maybe you maybe you did jay on linkedin and i was like oh wait tell me the results of, of that because um you know I'll, i i'll be talking to somebody and say okay great I, you know, that donor's given ten thousand dollars um you know, annually and like, but, but, but great, we've done research and we know they're giving $25,000 down the street. Let's get a meeting with them. Well, one problem, Sherry, they're overseas right now, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, you know, and certainly a win-win is that we can go to them and sit with them and, you know, know them intimately to have a deep relationship with them. But I will tell you, I, I am having more and more people, Um, not only, uh, you know, do some of these donor cultivation, uh, meetings and and work over technology, um, you know, if it's here in the States and, uh, and I've had it work, I've had it work. Um, I think there has to be a, my caution always in fundraising is, um, you know, especially for people who are starting out or, you know, I'll say, leave it, you know, please remember we're having a conversation. Like we're not presenting our needs, um, you know, keep it really peer to peer, keep it really lighthearted, um, you know, just so it doesn't turn into this like real pitchy thing. Um, that's a little harder on, on zoom, you know, it would be harder for me because I teach on zoom all day long. Um, so it's a little harder to keep it casual, I think, because once you start sharing your screen and you're kind of looking at a gift chart or looking at the need, it it just kind of naturally turns into more of a presentation. But, um, you know, the other side of that, um, Jay is, you know, let's pretend, you know, you're running an organization in Florida and you have a you know, someone says, hey, you know, my colleague who used to be here now lives in Seattle. They would love what you do. Um, this is where I'd say, you know, growing, it takes money to grow. Right. And so don't be afraid to say, I'm going to go get on a plane. You know, maybe not this week, um, but but I'm going to go get on a plane. And, um, and, and maybe I'm going to try to find two other people in that area. Because you know what? We have to invest and, and take the risk. Um, to go meet with that person if we think we are going to grow our donor pool. And so I would just say that growth, um, you know, is really a commitment to change the way you're doing things. And that does mean spending money to make money, right? And so um sometimes I'll say, yeah, I don't want you flying to to Seattle every month, but you know it might be every third or fourth meeting and that makes sense. Um, and that's okay because, you know, it's still a good ROI once that person has has made a
0: gift. And this this idea that change and growth are both scary but essential—it's something <laughs> you've been practicing all along. I mean, you started in the world of of design, as you said before, right. when you started architectural design firms. and You were doing that for over a decade, and then doing this work in the nonprofit realm, really getting this organization with your your friends and colleagues off the ground, and now with your own business. What's what's the next step as you try to help others? Uh, grow their missions, but also just in terms of your own mission, what, where, where do you see this taking you?
1: Yeah, that's a, I love that question, Jay. I think, um I mean, my goal, I did a lot of national work kind of probably last year and um, I'm on the eighth year of my own business. And so, um you know, I've been out of, you know, that industry uh, previously for a decade and now I'm on year eight of my own. Um, you know, I pivoted probably two years ago to, or maybe 18 months ago to this really um, I'd say actively uh, sharing about my virtual model Um, just because I realized there were a lot of people who were contacting me and I was like oh I don't think I can serve them Um, and so for me personally um, you know last year was was like this wow my clients are getting great results even when I do the work virtual okay so what does this look like and so for 2020 uh, I mean really my goal is to be working in you know, 30 to 40 states, uh, and and so far, you know, it's we're, we're so good. Um, and so I've really kind of just been intentional about, um, you know, trying to talk with with colleagues and and companies that are serving national audiences, so that I personally can grow my business. Um, just because I I feel like the need is so great to come alongside and um, and support founders who are doing absolutely amazing work, and just need. tools in hand, the plan, and the training to pivot up into larger gifts so they actually can, uh, you know, be fully funded and they can take a salary and they can, um, you know, really accomplish the mission that they've set themselves out, set before themselves to do. And so um, 2020 for me is how many states can I work in? Uh, How many people can I serve Uh, nationally. So that's kind of my, my own personal goal. And uh, I'm having a great year already uh, here, kind of, it was, we're looking at the end of quarter one. And then, um, you know, Jay, I've always toyed with, uh, or I I shouldn't say toyed with, I've always been passionate about working with groups who, who continue to work with, with uh, girls and women. And, you know, that's kind of what I, obviously how I got into this. And so um, I think personally, I'm always, um, you know, kind of looking for groups who are, who are working in that orphan care space and that anti-trafficking space. I have actually have two of those right now. And, um, you know, I'm passionate about that cause in general. And so um, my goodness, it it would be, I'd be jumping out of bed every morning. If I, you know, was coaching five clients that were really in that space every day um, just because I'm personally passionate about it as well.
0: Well, hopefully a few of those will find you here. There's certainly a lot, a lot of need for that.
1: There's a lot of need.
0: And just as a last note, uh, as you've traveled and done this work, uh, I know you've seen change in the sector, you've seen it in your own in your own business. What do you imagine for the nonprofit sector as a whole as you look forward?
1: Oh that's a great question. Um, you know it's interesting i on this kind of trends question, because I'm working very specifically with um you know I like the smaller organizations but but frankly that's the majority of them um i i guess i kind of look at it as there there's still a lot of work to be done and so i, I still see so much need for a lot of that uh ground level uh, solid base uh working I, I would say in that what i really hope i see change uh, in probably the the drum i beat all day long um, is to really throw this scarcity mindset out the window, um, and I, I think I think that the tides are changing in that. I see that because um, I'd say maybe even last year, maybe 40% of my work was funding by uh, like capacity building grants, where I'll talk to somebody and they're like, "Hold on, I think I, I think I ha- have somebody who could who would fund this because they've maybe funded programs in the past, but now they actually want to invest do capacity building um, support, and so." I, I hope that uh, we see more of that and, and really help uh, our fishers learn how to fish um, because they already usually are experts at their mission. And so I, I find that they need um, kind of that mindset shift to say, yeah, w- this is the year where we're, we're, we're going to invest in our organization, whether that's learning how to do something or taking a real salary or hiring that staff we've been putting off. Um, and to do that, though, you've really got to kind of push against some of those industry mindsets that we all face um, and just push ahead and know that you're doing the right thing. And so I'm seeing some of that, but I, I'd like to see
0: some more of that too. Thank you so much for the sharing. It's really been a pleasure talking with you and hearing more Thank about you, uh, your thoughts on your own business and your clients and what you'd like to see ahead.
1: Thanks, Jay. Appreciate it.
0: The Masterminds podcast is underwritten by DonorSearch, the world leader in donor intelligence solutions for -for not-for-profit organizations. Our producer is Terrence Diggs. Our theme music is composed and performed by Ahmad Ibrahim. The voice introduction to our program is performed by Ryan Ibrahim. You can subscribe to the Mastermind series on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find blogs, livecasts, and flash classes with our featured masterminds at donorsearch.net or check the show notes and descriptions.